Good morning. All right. Do you know why we gather together, why we sing songs, and why we open this book called the Bible? It's so that we can grow, so that we can understand and know how God has made us and shaped us. It's so that we can exalt him and lift him up because he's worth everything. He's valuable to us. And so we want to give him our lives and our time and our resources. And we want to submit to him and say, God, I want you to teach me out of your word that we do this every day individually. We do it as families. We do it as a, as a congregation, as a group of people. We do it as people of God throughout all the world. And so as we come to the end of this study in Ephesians called the Crown Jewel, we're going to finish this this uh, series today, we're looking at this letter that Paul has written. It's a letter that he wrote to a group of people in Asia Minor, much like he would write or someone would write us a letter today. The only difference is Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit where you and I uh, are not in that sense of writing something that is wholly true and accurate to someone else. So over the course of time, Paul has been writing this letter to this group of people for the very same reason we study the Word of God because it was the Word of God for them and for us that our minds and our hearts would be shaped and wrapped around this idea of who God is. And so he's writing this to these new believers in a city called Ephesus, went much like Decatur, well, a little bit bigger and a little bit grander than Decatur. It was a place filled with possibility and a place of affluence and it was basically the crown jewel of Asia Minor. It was the place that everybody wanted to go. It was the Los Angeles, the Paris, the London of our day and so they were immersed in this culture. They were in this setting, in this culture of people that had everything at their fingertips. Anything they could think of or dream up, they could grab a hold of, find the money per, to pay for or, or create in their own power. They had all this possibility in front of them. And so Paul writes this letter to these believers to say, I want you to think about living differently than the rest of the culture. I want you to think in this new way, this new ethic that Jesus has brought to us, that we don't live for ourselves, that we live for God. We're not striving to build our kingdom, but we're laying our lives down so that his might be able to increase. And so it's this countercultural way of thinking, this complete idea shift and change and paradigm in the way we go about living our lives. And so because these people were immersed in this culture, because they had affluence, idolatry followed closely behind. And as I've said over and over again, anytime there is affluence, there is idolatry. They go hand in hand. Anytime we can get our hands on anything, we begin to value those things that bring us joy and satisfaction or we think might be able to bring us joy and satisfaction. And so we idolize money. We idolize relationships. We idolize houses and security and safety. We, we think those things will fulfill us and give us the greatest joy in life. And the biggest sense of idolatry, the biggest place we idolize, the biggest thing that we put our hands on and we want to find value in is not something outside of us, it's actually something in us. We idolize ourselves over everything else because everything that we do in this life and everything that we do in the world that tries to increase our power or our status or our relationships or our income is really to satisfy ourselves. So ultimately, when we idolize something, we're not idolizing that thing. We're just using that thing to idolize ourselves. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? We live our lives for the glory of me. That's how we live. And so this is what this people was going through. This is the, the culture they were immersed in. So Paul was writing to them to change their thinking, to have this new understanding of living our lives. And especially today as we come to the end of this with our seniors who are graduating. And this is not just a message for our seniors. And this is not just a message for people who've been in church for a long time. Because we're going to get to this passage that you've heard before. You've probably studied before. And if you never have, it's great. It's the first time you get to hear it and you get to hear it with fresh eyes. It's a passage that we title the armor of God. Basically the resources and tools that God gives us to live this new life. 
Now, this is great for these seniors because as they go out into this life and begin a new life in, the, in and of themselves, this new independence that they think they're grabbing a hold of, <clears throat> we that have experienced life know it's really not truly independence, right? It's just quasi-independence. And so as you go into this new life, this is a great understanding to carry with you. And so I'm not going to bore you today, and it's really not boring to talk about the individual pieces of the armor of God. My hope and my prayer this week and today is to actually have the Holy Spirit change the way you think about the armor of God. The way you think about the resources that God has given you, not specifically individually the belt and the helmet and all those specific pieces, but as a whole, what the purpose of the resources of God that go beyond our human resources and ability are designed for you and I to have to live out this new life that Paul and God is calling us to. So we get to verse 10 in chapter 6, and Paul says, finally, as if he's been talking for a while. He says, okay, this is the end. I'm done on my soapbox. I'm done teaching you in this moment. Finally, this is what I want you to know. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. With everything else that I have told you, what I want you to know is I want you to stand strong, and I want you to stand firm in God and in this new relationship. And the only way you can be strong in God is to, to do away with the things that we've been talking about is to quit idolizing all those other things, specifically self. It means that we do not rely on ourselves anymore. The way that we are strong in God is to be weak in ourselves, to let go of and to push away and say, I can't do this, I can't do what I thought I could do. But the problem of every generation, specifically when we're your age, the problem of every generation is, I got this. I can take care of it. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I can improve on what my parents have done for me. I can elevate the level of technology and business and science. I'm here now. Everything's going to be okay. Right? Am I right? It's when we're 18. It's when we're 40. It's when we're 70. We, we have this idolization of self that we want to satisfy ourselves and we think we're a gift to the world. And we're like, I got this. I don't need any help. I don't need, you might tell me what to do. I know there's been thousands of years of history. I know that people have developed all of these strategies and all of these principles and I am standing here today because of their intellect and because of their knowledge and because of their work ethic. I didn't just show up and create this because I walked into the world. It happened before me and God is using me to continue this work in this process. But we think, I'm here now, I got this. So we develop our own quasi-biblical statements to affirm this belief. And these are a couple of the statements that I want to push on today. The first one is God helps those who help themselves. Because if I got this, you know, God's going to come help me because he sees me working. And so he's going to join me in my effort. The other quasi-biblical statement we use to really affirm ourselves is God will never give you more than you can handle. Because look, I'm strong. I'm powerful. I, I have this ability in and of myself. I can build a kingdom. I can build a business. I can build a family. I can build a 401k. Look what I've done. Check all this out. So God's not going to give me more than I can handle because look how I've gotten to this point by myself. The problem is... God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who cannot do anything for themselves. God doesn't look down and go, oh, you're doing better than everybody else. Let me just push you over the hump. God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. And you know why he does that? So that we will relinquish our own power. So that we'll let go of our own ability. And our own thinking that says, I got this. I can take care of this. I'm here now. Everything's fine. And so he will give you more than you can handle. Because the beginning of faith, the beginning of trust, the beginning of believing in him is letting go of everything else. 
and letting go of relying on anyone else or any 401k or any skill or ability that you might have, the beginning of actually trusting God is the end of relying on myself. Of saying, I don't have this. I can't do this because this new life that Paul is calling us to, this new ethic that Jesus brought to us, this new way of living in relationship with God, it can't be done in my own power. It can't be done in your power. That's the whole reason Jesus came. If we could do it in and of ourselves, we would not have needed a perfect savior to come to die in our place because we say, I got this, I'll die. I'll bring myself back to life. I'll take care of it. We don't have the resources. We simply do not have the skills and ability in and of ourselves, but we fool ourselves. I got this. God won't give me more than I can handle. God helps those who help themselves because look what I've been doing on my own. Paul says this new life, this new way of living and being in a relationship with him, it cannot be done in your own strength and your own power because you don't have the resources to see it through. And he's the only one who does. And so Paul says, finally, relinquish your own ability. Let go of what you think you can do. Quit relying on yourself to satisfy and fulfill yourself and begin to lean on God. Which is what Proverbs 3 says, you lean on him and his understanding. Because we don't have full understanding, we don't have full ability, we don't have full knowledge or power to live this out. And so Paul says, finally, be strong in him and his power and his might, and you have to relinquish your own to do that. And so then he goes on to give us a few ways and a few things that can help us in this process. Verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Once we have relinquished and kind of become naked in our own ability, he says, now, instead of your own power, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul says the reason we cannot rely on ourselves is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is there to try, and try to attack us, to try to destroy us and take us down. And Paul says, you have to stand firm. The goal of this new life is to stand firmly in this relationship with God, this understanding of him. And he says, the only way you can stand in that is to put on the armor, the resources that God has given to the believer. And the reason you need those resources is because you have an enemy and just like every fight and every battle, the enemy is seeking to destroy you, to utterly decimate you. Not to come up close to you and be friends with you. Not to say, hey, I'm gonna throw some darts at you, just let you know so you can get out of the way. This is not Nerf gun battle. This is full on attack. And if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, it will hit you upside the head and you won't even know what happened. For those who are walking with God, trying to live out this new life, the enemy will stand at your doorstep and will blow it down with an AK-47. Because we have an enemy who is strong, who is powerful, and I think we're misguided. We have a misguided view of the enemy that comes after us. He doesn't have any flesh. Because his power, his abilities are greater than the tangible things of the world. He has power that God has allowed him to have in this season of life. In this epoch of life, he's given him the ability to roam free. And we equate our enemy, Satan, the devil, with a cartoon with horns and a pitchfork or with a Saturday Night Live skit that's really funny. But our enemy is someone we cannot see, someone we cannot tangibly touch, but has the power to utterly decimate you and I. 
ultimately, this enemy has zero power over God. None. But the problem is, when you and I try to live in our own resources and our own power, we are actually powerless against him. We have nothing to stand in and nothing to stand on. And the only way for you and I to win this fight and to win this battle is to take the resources that God has given us and to put on this armor that will protect us to help us stand against and stand firm and remain strong in this new life. Because without that armor, you're toast. You and I are done. We think, I got this, I'll take care of it, I'm here now, everything's fine. I don't need to rely on God, I don't need his strength, I don't need his power. And all of a sudden, you just get upside the head and you won't know where it came from. Because you, won't prepare, you weren't prepared and ready for this fight. So Paul continues in verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He's like a parent repeating himself over and over. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Put on the armor of God, put on the armor of God. Don't forget, put on the whole armor of God, like put on clean underwear before you leave. You know, you don't know when you're gonna have a wreck. So Paul's like, look, therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There again, to stand firm in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He says, the purpose of this armor is so that you can stand firm, again, for the third time in a couple of verses. Hey, I want you to know, you cannot stand firm in your own power and strength. And the only way you can do so is for you to put on the resources that God has afforded to the believer. Now remember the context for which Paul is writing this. He's writing this to a group of people who are living in a very secular society, in a very idealistic world. In a world that's filled with possibility and power and affluence. And he's calling them out of that. To live counterculturally, To live differently. Because the flow of life is smacking them in the face. face, And it's almost impossible for them to stand firm. Because this whole wave of thinking is coming directly at them. This whole wave of living life, of doing things for ourselves and living for our own power and our own power and our own strength and for our own satisfaction and joy is coming at them and they're facing the other direction and it feels like at times they're the only one facing this way. That their lives, Paul says, you're supposed to look so different, so drastically different from the other people around you that you're actually supposed to be going the other direction when the wave of humanity is coming toward you. And I'll be honest, I, th- I think we miss this. In our southern culture, in our you go to church because you're supposed to, in our mindset of we're here to raise really good moral kids, which is not necessarily biblical. Morals flow out of a godly relationship. They don't create one. Just because your child can say please and thank you doesn't mean they have a relationship with their father who can save them. Paul calls these people who are living in this secularistic mindset of anything goes, get whatever you want and make sure it's for you and don't worry about anybody else. He calls them to stand in the wave of humanity and secular thinking that is attacking them. And to do so is hard. Seniors, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in college. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do as an adult to stand firm and say, no, this is my God. This is my relationship with him. I'm not gonna rely on myself, my own power, my own strength. I don't need what you have to satisfy me because I've learned over time to find my satisfaction and fulfillment in him and who he says I am. 
And it doesn't happen tomorrow. It doesn't happen next week or next month. It's a lifetime of learning where our satisfaction comes from, where our joy comes from, and that we find our identity not in the things that we have or create, but in the one who created us. And he calls them to stand in this calling that they have. It's what he says in verse 4. He says, I urge you, I beg you to walk, to live in a manner worthy of your calling in which you have been called. I'm begging you, please stand against, stand in the wave of humanity. But the more we stand firm, the more difficult it becomes. It is painful. Not just for seniors, for the adults in the room. It's painful for us to turn around and go the opposite direction of where everybody else is running, where everybody else is heading. The mindset that has been created in our culture, it is painful, ostracizing at times, to live counterculturally. And you know what happens? Over time, we just allow the undercurrent of this new way of thinking just to take us with the flow. And we say, I don't have any chance to stand against it. I don't have any hope of standing firm. I'll just do what everybody else does because their life seems to be turning out successful. Their kids seem to be pretty unhappy. Their 401k must be bigger than mine. So we just go with the flow. Because it's difficult, it's painful to stand firm in the face of the culture that says we are out for ourselves. And so what's happened is over time, we, not just as a, as a, a people of humanity, but we as the people of God. Now I don't want you to miss this this morning, and this is going to hurt, it's painful, and you're going to think, oh, not me. We as the people of God, because of this over time, have developed a secular worldview which simply means a way of thinking about the world and ourselves to benefit the human race. It's not to benefit God or to live biblically or to live the way he's called us to. It's to live in the way that satisfies self. It's to live in the way that makes me the center of all the universe and the center of all things in life. And so over time, we begin to view things from a humanistic point of view, not from a godly point of view. And you say, well, I don't understand. Well, let me take our first misstatement and let's walk through that. So this is the first misstatement, that quasi-biblical statement that we come up with to affirm ourselves. And this first statement we went through was this. God helps those who help themselves. Now let me ask you that. Is that godly or humanistic? You can answer. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Humanistic. Why is it humanistic? Because it seeks to satisfy self. It says, look, you're doing a good job. Let me just help you along the way. If we look biblically, what the Bible says, which is the word of God, his teaching to us about himself and about sin and about mankind, if we look biblically, it's completely opposite of that statement. It is not God sitting up in heaven and saying, oh, well, I'm going to pick you and you and you seem to be better than everybody else. You're doing better. You're working harder. Let me just give you a little bit extra because you're already on that path and you're better than everybody else. If you look biblically, this is what the Bible actually says about that misstatement. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Well, no, 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 not me. Not, not, not me. You know, maybe those other people because God helps those who help themselves. So I'm better than the rest of the human race. So that, I'm not included in that. Okay, Romans chapter 3. For there is no distinction. You're not different than anybody else. For all, everyone, that includes you who thinks you're on a better path. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, you know, okay, I see where, you know, there's not a distinction and we've, you know, we kind of done some things we're not supposed to do, but look, I still, I think I'm better than everybody else. Okay, Mark chapter two. 
Those who are well have no need of a physician. You say, okay, I'm good, I'm good. We don't go see a doctor, guys. We don't see them anyway, even if we're on our deathbed, right? We don't want to go see doctors. We don't want anybody to help us because I got this. I don't need any help. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's not God helps those who help themselves, because God's going to come help those who can't help themselves. And then Isaiah chapter 64. We have all become like those who are unclean. All our, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Which is Paul's very kind way of saying it's ugly and it's nasty. No matter how much we think we can offer God. No matter how far along we think we have advanced humanity. No matter how much we think we can do, the biblical view is not God helps who help, help themselves. The biblical view is no matter how much you have tried, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many great things for other people you have done, every single person who's ever been created is in the same lot, in need of a savior to rescue and save you because you cannot do it in your own power. You have no ability to stand firm without the resources God gives you called the armor of God. And look, that's just one example. That's just one small example of our secular, humanistic way of viewing the world and it is pervasive in the church of God. And I don't mean denomination, I mean the people of God. It is pervasive, we do it with everything. Everything has shifted with the current culture of modern thinking. The way we live in a relationship with other people is for the benefit of ourselves. The way we push our kids to achieve. And I'll be honest, I got tomatoes last week from mothers. I'm going to get tomatoes today from parents. The way we push our teenage kids to date is a humanistic, secular view of the world the way we use our resources the way we spend our time for the most part has to do with benefiting me which means I have a humanistic view of the world because ultimately I idolize myself instead of ascribing and giving glory to God and Paul says without the armor of God you have no way to combat this secular, humanistic way of thinking that's pervasive in the world and rampant throughout the church. You simply cannot overcome it because you don't have the power by yourself to stand firm in the wave that's coming at you. And so Paul begins to list some of these that we're not going to go to in detail, but I at least want you to see what some of these pieces or resources are. He says, stand therefore, again, there's that phrase, I want you to know you're supposed to stand as they come at you, as the current wave of thinking comes towards you, not to be caught up in the flow, but you're to stand in the face of it, not to go pick it, not to throw rocks, not to stone anybody, but to stand firm. And so stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts 
darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and praying at all times in the spirit of God with all prayer and all supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication to God, praying and asking him. This is a picture of a soldier being outfitted for battle. Like they ain't playing games. We're not tossing around water guns. This is a picture of a soldier doing battle in the war, making preparations because they know when they step outside or before they even step outside, they are going to war against an enemy that is seeking to devour them, to destroy them, to decimate them. And without this armor, they have no chance to be able to stand. And you think, I'm 35, I'm still standing, I'm not dead. There are different ways to win a war. You don't have to physically remove somebody from the battle. If you can subtly shift and change them to the other side so that other people say, hey, I want to look like that. So ultimately all of the soldiers are on one side. That's better than destroying everybody else that stands against you. Which is exactly what has happened in our current way of thinking. That we have slowly as believers shifted to the other side. We have slowly began to think in a humanistic, secular view of the world that we think saves us, but actually completely destroys us on the inside. That's the picture of, of the essential elements of battle, weapons, protection, ammunition. But these aren't made of Kevlar, brass, and steel. This is truth. This is peace that combines with the truth that says, I don't have to beat you over the head to tell you something that's true. This is righteousness, desiring to live rightly even when nobody else is. This is prayer to God saying, I can't do this by myself. Is the Spirit of God put in you to help you live out this new life because you don't have the resources or power without him standing with you? These are standard issue. These are resources that God has given every believer to be victorious in the battle that we face. And if you think spiritual warfare is not true, you are losing the battle and you don't even know. You have been shifted to the other side and you don't even know what team you're playing for. Because we live in the southern culture that says, oh, everybody's nice, everybody's good. You just live your life, go to church when you're supposed to, and everything will be fine. Because so that's what happens. See, when you first came to faith in God, if you're a believer in Him, you were on fire, right? You were mountaintop. You wanted to know and learn everything you could about God in the world. You want to know everything about the Bible. You're asking questions that people are like, would you quit asking questions? The reason they told you to quit asking questions is because they didn't know the answer either. They were just too ashamed to tell you so. But you were excited to learn and to study. You wanted to know all these resources and all these things that God had given you. And then over time, you just started to become lax and less diligent in preparing for battle and preparing for war and studying the word of God and putting on the armor of God because it's too hard to train. It's too painful to stand counterculture to everybody else. And you got a picture from church people that said, oh, okay, well, I can just do it halfway and I'll be fine. And you just kind of, said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. I found another way I can live that kind of puts on this facade or front that I'm actually living for God when I know I'm not so that I can still be happy and still have salvation in the end. I'm listening to a book right now. 
by two uh, former Navy SEALs, and I, you're really never a former Navy SEAL, right? <laughs> uh, if you ever lived with a military mom or dad, it never goes away. Um, this is the second book I, I've listened to them. Just I, I love leadership. I'm not good at it. I want to get better at it, and so I've been listening to a couple of those, and um, there's a really good story in this, in this book that relates to this, this armor of God today. So one of the, the guys, one of the command leaders, his name's Jocko Willink, was telling about this story of, of their platoon, their specific unit, going through uh, battle and through some training operations, and they're on the, the ground in Ramadi. And, and they go through these initial skirmishes, and these young SEALs that they're bringing on board and putting on the team, you know, you go into battle that first time, and everybody's, you know, freaking out, and you got to change your underwear and all that kind of stuff, and nobody wants to tell that you had to do that, but you still had to because you're scared to death. So after a couple of those skirmishes, they decide, hey, this armor is heavy, it's hard, it's cumbersome, and I get tired of carrying it with me. And what I've discovered is the enemy's in front of me, and because we're the U.S. Navy SEALs, we know where everybody is most of the time. So what I'm going to do is I want to run faster, I want to be leaner, I want to be more free. And these young SEALs started removing these ballistic inserts from their vest. The, the armor in the back of the vest that in case they get shot would protect them and allow them to continue to walk and live. They started removing these inserts and they went into battle and their command leader discovered that they were removing these inserts and he says, why are you doing this? Why would you remove something that can protect you? And they said, man, it's so much lighter. This vest is so much lighter and I can run faster and I can be more free to do battle and to win the victory. And the command leader, Jocko, looked at him and said, but can you outrun a bullet? Because you never know when. And you never know where the enemy's going to attack from. And this is standard issue for you. I know it's heavy. I know it's cumbersome. I know it's hard sometimes to live this way. I know it's hard to carry this vest. But it has a purpose. And the purpose is to save your life. So that you can stand here and still defeat the enemy. Because without it, you're hopeless. And I think that's what's happened to us. I think over time, studying the Bible just became cumbersome. Carrying this new ethic, this new way of living, of serving other people and giving my life for other people, it's just gotten too cumbersome. And it's not as much fun as what I see everybody else doing. You know, if I, if I don't focus on this and I remove this from my life, I can run faster. I can make more money. I can have more fun in my relationships. I can be more free to live life how I want. And I think... We believe, just like those young seals believe, that we can actually do battle better without the full armor we've been given. And so we have shed some of those things. And in shedding some of those things, we have just flowed with the current of culture. And our mindset, instead of standing firm in the faith of God, has actually been shifted and changed over time. And we don't even know it's happened. See, Paul says God has given us these resources so that we can be victorious in the fight that's ahead of us. But some of us said it's just too hard, it's too difficult, it's too cumbersome, it's too painful to live that way. And church, you never know when and you never know where the enemy's gonna attack from because he is not flesh and blood and he is more powerful than the tangible things in this life. Ultimately, he has no power over God. But when you and I remove our ballistic inserts, when we quit praying, when we quit studying the word, when we quit striving to live righteously, 
when we quit spending that time immersing ourselves in the resources of God, we are susceptible to attack at any time. And when our enemy attacks, it can be and probably will be fatal in some area of your life. And so Paul finishes in verse 18 through 20. To that end, for this purpose, I want you to keep alert. I want you to watch, be ready with all perseverance, making supplication, praying for all of your soldiers, praying for all of your brothers and all of your friends. And Paul says, also for me. Also for me because I've been put in chains. I've been put in this place. Pray for me that these words may be given to me so as I open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I have done because I'm an ambassador for God. And as I have done so, I've been put in these chains. And so I want to be able to speak boldly. I want to be able to speak the gospel. I want to be able to live the gospel, to live differently, boldly, even when it's painful, even when it's hard, even when it ostracizes me. I want to be able to stand, so pray for me as I put on the armor of God and I stay woke and I stay living out this faith that God has called me to using the resources he has given me to stand firm in the face of humanistic, secular thinking and worldview. And church, you and I have to start thinking differently because without thinking differently, we cannot live differently. And without living differently, we cannot be successful in this life God has called us to because it's too easy just to go with the flow of everything else. And I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to live doing what everybody else does. I want you to be successful. Not that you have more relationships, not that you have bigger cars. I want you to be successful in walking faithfully with God. And the only way to do so is to use the resources He's given us and immerse ourselves in that armor and that protection and those weapons for battle, for his good and for his glory, not for ours. You good? You with me? Okay, let's pray. Father, we pray for these seniors, especially this morning, um, that we know life is about to change for them and, and in many ways good, but in many other ways very difficult and very hard to see that this is a spiritual warfare season of their life that this season could actually determine the direction and quality of the life that's ahead of them that how they choose to live and how they choose to stand with you or go with the flow of current culture and thinking can and possibly will determine how the rest of their life might play out and so god we pray for them we we bathe them in prayer we ask that you would allow their eyes and their hearts to be open to the resources you've given them to be able to stand in the midst of other young men and women who will think and act differently from them. That they would not be tempted to live to idolize themselves, but they would be faithful in worshiping and glorifying you with the way they speak, the way they think, the way they live their lives, and the way they have a relationship with other people. But God, not just for our seniors, but for our church as a whole, for men and women who grown up in church or who are the first day starting to believe in you, that we would stand firm, which means letting go of our own power and our own strength, but that we would stand firm in the faith. And the only way to stand firm in the faith is to immerse ourselves in you. And so God, I pray that today you woke some eyes and hearts that at least cause us to question, do I view the world biblically or do I view my life humanistically? And God, I think we'll be surprised, all of us will be surprised in how many ways we view the world secular instead of biblical and godly.
And God, convict us of those and help us learn to change, to live more godly and more biblically so that we can be more faithful and ultimately more successful in this life you have called us to be. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of our failure, in spite of our weakness. Even when we could not help ourselves, your grace was enough to rescue us, to save us, to forgive us, and to make us whole again. And so, Father, we sing and we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.